afternoon everyone uh, thank you for joining us and this afternoon i'd like to talk about what the bible says about god's coming judgment it's a topic that's got relevance to all of us uh, and the reason i say this uh, is because of these words that uh, we have from second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 uh, where we read we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad uh, and like our opening reading that's taken from the new king james version and most of my quotes this afternoon will be from that version if you're using a different version they might be slightly different but because we as christadelphians are bible believing people we're really going to focus on what the bible tells us about this subject and hopefully you'll find it to be a positive message of hope even though that you might think that judgment is a word that has slightly negative connotations but in our opening reading we've just read about a kingdom we've read about a king we've read about judgment and we're going to focus on all of those aspects during the course of our afternoon together and we're going to look about God's character uh, and how God has revealed himself to be a judge in the Bible. We're going to look about what the Bible says about coming judgment. We're going to think about who will and who won't be judged. And we're going to think about how we can prepare for the coming judgment. So we've, we've got quite a lot to fit in this afternoon. But the Bible presents to us a God who is concerned with the world that he has created and we read that didn't we in our opening reading um, in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 25 uh, it says come you blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and the God of the Bible is shown to us to be a God who is concerned with his creation uh, John chapter 3 verses 14 to 17, perhaps some of the most well-known verses uh, in the Bible, say these words. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved and so three times in this short passage we're told that god does not want people to perish to die but he does want them to have everlasting or eternal life but this passage also presents to us a conditional god a god who gives choices if we choose to believe in Jesus Christ the Son of God and accept his message then we have a positive hope but the opposite if we choose to reject his message then the consequences are clear uh, and again we read about that in our opening reading so the Old Testament when we read through it clearly tells us that God yes is loving and merciful but it also presents him as being a God of justice and a God of truth. Um, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, when, when the Lord God 
reveals himself to Moses when Moses asks God to to show himself to him and and so that Moses can go and tell the people that he's leading who God is. This is how God chooses to proclaim himself. The Lord passed by before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty. And just notice how many positive attributes and characteristics there are of God in that description compared to the negative ones. We have a merciful God, we have a gracious God, we have a long-suffering God, we have a God who abounds in goodness and truth, we have a God who keeps mercy, we have a God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. But then the balance of that is that God will by no means clear or forgive those who are guilty. So if we go right back to the very beginning of the Bible and we read through our Bible, we can look at the God that we're presented with and we can compare him to the way that he's revealed himself. And we can see whether the way that God chooses to present himself in Exodus is the same as the God that we find. And when we go back to the first book of the Bible, in the book of the Genesis, then, then we find that the Lord God created a perfect world. He created everything that was good. And he created man and woman that were seen as being very good. And he provided everything that they needed to sustain them in the Garden of Eden. Uh, so this is, is this God that we've been revealed to in Exodus, giving everything for the needs of his creation. Um, verses 8 and 9, you can see there on the screen, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he'd formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But because we know that the Lord God is a conditional God, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it so that the man had work to do. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so the Genesis record goes on to tell us that Despite all of these good things that God had given to Adam and Eve, he'd given them a command that they could do everything apart from this one thing, which was to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did that one thing that the Lord God had instructed them not to do. And they ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the consequence of this was they were driven out of the garden by God. Access to the tree of life was withdrawn and they began to die, as God had said they would if they disobeyed him. So right from the very beginning of our Bibles, we're presented with a God who is a God of love, but also a God who does what he says if people disobey him, a God of judgment. And throughout the Bible, God is presented as being a God who is both kind and severe. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this when he writes to the church in Rome, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell severity, 
but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness otherwise you also will be cut off so so it gives this idea of a conditional god again a god who is prepared to love but a god who is prepared to be severe uh, and a little later on in the book of genesis we, we find the lord god judging all of the world for their falling away and for their disobedience uh, genesis 6 verses 5 to 8 uh, when the Lord God looks down on his creation and he sees the, uh, the, the actions and the activities of men and women. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil only continually. Uh, and the Lord God was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So this is presenting to us a God who has emotions He's not a God who just does things without feeling. He was sorry and he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here again, there is this understanding that if individuals are prepared to put their trust in God then the Lord God is prepared to put his favour on them and here we have the man Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord because Noah alone was prepared to faithfully serve the Lord God in the way that God wanted uh, and so Noah and his family were saved in, in the ark that God commanded Noah to build he was saved he and his family because he put his faith and his trust in God. And the God that we read about in these first few chapters of the Bible does not change. And throughout the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read of his interactions with men and women. And constantly we're told how he blesses those who put their faith and their trust in him and do their best to follow his commandments. And for me personally, the way that God deals with people is, is a really important thing because we all fail. There are none of us that are perfect and the Bible tells us this apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But despite the fact that we all fail at some point, those who try and put their trust and faith in God and try and do what God wants, the Lord God provides for them. And we'll look at that a little bit as we, we go through this afternoon's talk. Now, we're not going to go chapter by chapter through the whole Bible. We'd be here for, for years if we did that. But the, the Old Testament tells us that the Lord God chose the descendants of a man called Abraham to be his chosen people. And the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, ends with the descendants of this man called Abraham. Uh, and it talks about the family of his grandson, Jacob, who was also known as Israel, going into the land of Egypt from the land of Canaan, because of a famine that was there in Canaan. Um, Canaan is equivalent to Palestine and Israel, uh, where they were living at that point in time. Uh, and so Jacob, Israel, takes his family, his, his sons, um, down into Egypt. And they were there for 430 years. And 430 years, they left Egypt with Moses leading them back into Canaan, the promised land. And God sets before them another choice. This conditional God says to them, if you follow my commandments, 
then I will bless you. But if you choose to ignore my commandments, then you'll be cursed, you'll be punished. And the Lord God builds his relationship with his people. He tells them and instructs them as to how they were to live their lives in his service. They were to be a people who were centred around the worship of the Lord God. And the Lord God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle, uh, a tent, uh, where the people could worship him in the way that he wanted. And he gave them specific instructions as to how they were to make it, its design, its measurements, um, the materials that it was to be made from. And he did that for a purpose and a reason. Uh, and this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, was a special place where God would meet with his people. And the central part of that tabernacle was the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant, a, a gold covered chest. Uh, and then this is a picture of what it might have looked like. Um, but the important thing is that you can see on there that it has a couple of poles um, which were used for carrying and transporting it because at the time that it was given it was to be carried through the desert as the people were making their way from Egypt back into the land of Canaan. Now about 500 years later King David decided to bring this Ark of God from the place where it was to his new capital city Jerusalem where once again it would be the centre of Israel's worship in the temple that David planned to build for God. The ark was placed on a new cart, it was pulled by oxen and it was driven by a man called Uzzah. And during the journey the oxen that were pulling the cart stumbled and Uzzah put out his hand and took hold of the ark to steady it. And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 7 that the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error and he died by the ark of the Lord. Now we might think that, that was quite severe because Uzzah was just trying to stop this important piece of um, worship furniture for want of a better word, being damaged and falling off the cart. He, he seemed like he was only trying to prevent the Ark of God from being damaged. Why was it that he died? Well, back in Exodus chapter 25, God had said that the Ark must always be carried using poles. It was the symbol of God's presence and it should never be touched. And the punishment for touching the Ark in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15 was death. God is pure and holy and can only be approached in the way that he has instructed. And so by touching the ark, Uzzah had disobeyed God's commands. Now, the God that we are presented with in the Bible and who is revealed to us is the creator and the sustainer of all life, and he expects to be honoured and obeyed. And so we can't be casual in the way that we approach God. We must seek God in the way that he's instructed and not do what we think is right. And later King David said about Uzzah's death in 1 Chronicles 15 verse 13, for because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Or we didn't look 
and understand according to the rules that God had given us how we should carry the Ark of the Covenant. And so the important lesson from the death of Uzzah is that God will punish those who refuse to honour and to obey him. Now, the Bible is explicit that God has a plan and a purpose for this world. And that plan is to be reconciled with his creation following the division that we've read about in the first chapters of Genesis when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. It tells us that he will establish a kingdom on the earth that will last forever. It tells us that this kingdom will be filled with people who are focused on giving God praise, honour and glory. And this is the message that he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to preach. And if we think about the Lord's Prayer or the prayer that Jesus offered when his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, the words are quite familiar to most people. But the highlighted words emphasise this fact that there was a kingdom that is to come uh, and that's what Jesus believed in and that's what he prayed for. He, he said to his disciples, when you pray, pray like this, give praise to your Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and then ask for your kingdom to come when your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the central plan and purpose of what the Lord God wants for us, his creation. It's for us to give him praise and it's for us to be in a kingdom where we can give God praise and honour forever, where his will will be done on the earth and is now done in heaven. And Jesus' prayer continues and concludes with the fact that this kingdom is the Lord God's and the Lord God is worthy of the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when this kingdom will come, is not explicitly revealed in the Bible. It's a time that will come at some point in the future. And that's a subject um, that is a topic on its own. It's not our focus for this afternoon. But the Bible is explicit that this kingdom will be different from any kingdom that has previously been set up. And the world will be full of men and women who do what it is that God wants them to do. Um, in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, it talks about this kingdom and how different it will be. It will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. So we know that this is future because at the moment all nations do not focus their minds and their thoughts on the God of Israel. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not give up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so notice that this quote from Isaiah talks about judgments between the nations. And the Lord God has given this work of judgment between the nations to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we've seen that in the earlier quote that we looked at. And, and Jesus is referred to as the righteous judge uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, because he will judge with godly wisdom, not with the wisdom of men and women, 
And there's a prophecy in the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter 11, um, which, which talks about the way that the Lord Jesus Christ will judge. Um, it says that he will, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. So his focus uh, is on what it is that the Lord wants. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, as men and women would do. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Now, there are echoes in Isaiah chapter 11 into um, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about the poor and the meek of the earth. And we haven't got time to look at that this afternoon. But if you have a look back into the New Testament and into uh, those, you, you can see that this prophetic um, foretelling of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ then is picked up by the Lord Jesus when he's talking about the work that he has come to do. Uh, and part of that work will be judgment. But Jesus won't judge everyone who has ever lived. That, that's for God to decide who will be judged. The Bible tells us that people who have known and understood the gospel and therefore have had the opportunity to respond to it will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of their lives. Uh, and this links back, doesn't it, into the idea of there being a conditional God. I charge you, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So the judgment will, 2 Timothy 4 tells us, involve the dead who have been raised and people who are living when he returns. So in our reading from Matthew chapter 25, it talked about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first coming was 2,000 years ago. The second coming is at a point in the future when Jesus will summon for judgment people from all ages who have known and understood the gospel. Uh, and these will be people who have either accepted God's offer of salvation and tried to honour and obey him, or accepted God's offer of salvation but not followed his ways, or have knowingly rejected God's offer of salvation. Now these are all people who have heard the call of the gospel. That is, they've understood God's offer of salvation and had the opportunity to choose for themselves whether or not to accept it and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be judged on how they've responded in their lives. And we're told, aren't we, in um, John chapter 3 and verses 17 and 18, which follows on from um, John 3.16, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So let's have a look at what will happen to these three classes of people. Firstly, those who are ignorant of God's purpose. Secondly, the righteous. And thirdly, the wicked, which is how the Bible um, sort of classifies them. So, so let's think about those who've not heard of God's offer of salvation. 
Well, people who are ignorant of the gospel won't be condemned for not having accepted it. How, how can they if they haven't heard? That would be unjust and unfair. And the Bible does not portray the Lord God as unjust or as unfair. So those who have died without hearing about God's offer of salvation will not be raised. Uh, the prophet Daniel says there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was um, a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people should be delivered. Everyone who is found in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And it's those small words and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It doesn't say all of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It doesn't say everyone. It says many. So it's a finite number of people that will be raised. The dead who have not heard of the message of hope contained within the Bible, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, or have known about the Lord God, that they will not be raised. They, they will remain dead. They've, they've perished. They've gone forever. Uh, and the writer in the book of Ecclesiastes says, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. The memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, their envy is now perished. Nevermore will they have anything that is under the sun. So the Old Testament tells us that when people are dead, then there is nothing. They sleep in the dust of the earth, in the grave. And if there is no reason for them to be raised to judgment because they've got nothing to be judged against, they will remain dead. Psalm 49 describes these people as being without understanding because they are ignorant of the gospel and it says that they will perish like animals. Um, Psalm 49 verses 16 to 20. Uh, Don't be afraid when one becomes rich, for the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. So there's a great leveller at death. Through, though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honour yet does not understand is like beasts that perish. So if we don't have understanding and we die, then we are like beasts that perish and there is nothing else left after death. And of course, there'll be many people who are living when Christ returns who don't understand the gospel, despite the fact that the Bible has been translated into most languages and has been taken into most countries around the world. There are still people who don't have an understanding of the gospel. They won't appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who survive the terrible time of trouble that will come on the earth at the time of the end will be allowed to live as mortal people in God's kingdom when Christ reigns as king. But they'll have an opportunity then to learn about the gospel. But those who don't survive will perish. They will die and remain in the grave forever. So those who've not heard about God's offer of salvation will not be raised to judgment. What about the people that Christ accepts? Well, those who are accepted at the judgment seat of Christ will be given eternal life. 
they'll be changed physically and spiritually, that their minds will never again be tempted to sin, to, to do things that are against what it is that God wants people to do. That, that battle of sin that the Bible describes to us, this warring between God's way and man's way, will be over. Their bodies will be changed, we read in 1 Corinthians 15. They, they will become immortal. They will never again feel pain or tiredness or any human weakness. And it'll be a great time of rejoicing for the faithful. Um, the Apostle Paul says uh, at the end of his life, when he reflected back on it and he reflected about the life that he'd lived, serving God to the best of his abilities, once he'd come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. That day being the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, so Paul was looking forward to this day when Jesus would come and raise the dead. Paul was looking to this day when Jesus would appear. Paul was looking to that day when he would be changed and this crown of righteousness, this change in his physical and spiritual uh, body would come to pass. What about people that the Lord Jesus Christ rejects? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us the details of the punishment of those Christ rejects on the Day of Judgment, but we are told that they will realise how foolish they've been to throw away God's wonderful blessings. Uh, and this will cause them um, a, a, an agony of mind when, when, when they realise what it is that they have lost. Um, we read that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, when he's talking to the Israelites, the Jews, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. He was talking to people who were rejecting him. They were rejecting his message. They were rejecting God. And he was pointing out to them that there were those who had accepted God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets, the messengers of God, who came to tell the people the way of God, but they'd rejected those prophets as well. And Jesus says, when you are raised and when you see, then there will be this agony of mind. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you reflect on what it is that you have chosen not to be part of. So part of their punishment will be to see the glory of God's kingdom, to see the Lord Jesus Christ as king over this kingdom and know that they will not be part of it and then they will die forever. And it's a little bit like the, the vision of Noah's ark with Noah and his family inside the ark and the door was shut from the outside by God and the people were outside the ark seeing Noah and his family in safety. And then the waters came and flooded the earth and they drowned. In one parable in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus compares this day of judgment to a harvest where the good corn, which represents the righteous, is separated from the useless weeds, the, the tares or the wicked. And the good corn is carefully preserved but the weeds are destroyed in the farmer's bonfire. Uh, and that would have been a very familiar 
thought to those who were um, growing um, wheat in the time that um, they were speaking about 2,000 years ago. Uh, and Paul taught a very similar lesson quite plainly when he talked about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and this judgment that will take place between the people on the earth. When the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. What greater punishment or judgment can there be than to see an eternal kingdom with an eternal king with an eternal people being established and being told you're not part of that and that's the warning uh, and and that's the the message that the the bible is talking to us about if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment that's what we read about in hebrews chapter 10 and verses 26 and 27. So Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33, um, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. People rejected by Christ will include those who've been baptised will include those who identify as Christians but haven't lived according to the example given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ who haven't followed the teaching of the Lord God and this is a warning for all of us um, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So we have to sort of take note of the fact that this judgment has really profound consequences um, for, for all of us who would say that we are Christians, followers of Christ. And if we think about how we should act if we want to prepare ourselves for this judgment, then we have to consider ourselves as being servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. In New Testament times, if a man brought a slave, he would own that slave totally. The slave could no longer please himself. He had one task in life, and that was to please his master. And baptised believers are to be like slaves or servants with the Lord Jesus Christ as their master. But we should obey because we love the Lord God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not because we're afraid of them uh, and not because we're afraid of the judgment. Jesus gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice to save us as sin. And so Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Jesus died that we might have life, the Bible tells us. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
if we say that we're believers, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't then decide to please ourselves and please Jesus when we want to. We can't decide um, that we can have it both ways. We become responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ for the way that we live. And when he returns, the Lord Jesus Christ will reward the faithful and punish those who have despised his ways. In our reading that Gary read to us from Matthew chapter 25, it recorded a parable that Jesus told about servants. And the master said to his faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But the man who ignored his master received a severe punishment. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think we've seen now why there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because of a recognition of what it was that they could and should have done, but they chose not to. So the joy of the master is seeing the response of the servants. The joy of the master is seeing the servants who has done what it is that the master asked them to do, and they will be rewarded for that faith. So, love or fear? Some Bible verses warn believers not to be too confident about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Other passages encourage us to be full of confidence, and there's no real contradiction. None of us can have confidence in our own righteousness, but true believers of the Lord Jesus Christ can have total confidence in the saving power of his Father, the Lord God. And we gradually learn to love God and to place our trust in him completely. Um, it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom if we continue to be faithful servants. Um, 1 John 4 verses 17 and 18 um, says these words, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so our, our life in the Lord Jesus Christ is a life of development, a life of learning and a life of constantly striving to see how we can better serve. It's not that we're perfect straight away, far from it. Uh, the more that we grow, the more we realise how imperfect we are, but that shouldn't motivate us to want to change the things that we do and to try our best to put our trust and our faith in the Lord God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that we should want to do all we can to serve him and to follow the example set by the Lord Jesus Christ. If we love God, then he will love us. And the Bible is explicit that this love that God shows to us is so much greater than any love that we should show to him. And it uses the word grace. The Bible is explicit that we can only be saved by grace through belief in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. We, we cannot earn 
eternal life. It is the gift of God, not of works. It, it, it emphasises that. It's not of yourselves, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so as we come to conclude our thoughts on judgment and on the response um, of ourselves to what it is that we've been asked to do, we find that the God of the Bible is both loving and severe in his judgment. The day of judgment will follow the resurrection at Jesus Christ's return. The Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, will judge in godly wisdom. Christ will summon for judgment people from all ages who've known and understood the gospel, the living, the dead, the righteous and the wicked. Those who are accepted by Christ Jesus will be given immortal life. And those who are rejected will greatly reject, regret their choice and then die forever. Um, but that really does then lead us to this final thought from Matthew chapter 25. The Son of Man will come and he will sit on the throne of glory and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left and the king will say to those on the right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So we have a promise and we have a hope but we have a choice but that choice shouldn't be a choice made out of fear it should be a choice made out of an understanding of the grace and the mercy of God to forgive us if we fail and to offer us this opportunity of living forever in his kingdom because it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom so that's what God wants from us. That's what will give him pleasure. But whether we choose that, uh, that's ours to make. And whether we are in the kingdom will depend on the choices that we make in our lives now. And as we've said, we make the answer now. Thank you for listening.